After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. I'll tell you what uh, I'm cooking right now. It's, you want to know my new um, invention? Yes. It's you take the two legs off a turkey, okay? Thighs and drumsticks. You stick them in a big old pot, like a La Crusade Dutch oven type pot. And then uh, cap them with water, just cover them with water. You know where this is going. But then you put in a whole ton of garlic. Don't do anything to it, just peel it. And you quarter an onion, put in a whole ton of hoisin sauce, bouillon, salt, pepper, and a whole ton of ginger. Ooh. Then put it in your oven at 275 all day long. And you make it that hot. Oh. You know, the, the the fact that I used to uh, kind of think that adding all kinds of junk to your braising liquid didn't matter was stupid. Oh, I mean, I used to, like, imports. poop my pants when I was a little kid, too. Like, people change over time. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> Good example. I, that was an indefensible position. You cannot make up for it later. So how are you serving that stuff? Well, the problem is you pull it out and you think you're going to make something with it, but you just eat it all like that. That's all right. Yeah. You just eat it all like that. The minute you can tear it apart with a fork. I think you're going like street tacos. Well, that was the intention. Or you put it on sandos, make barbecue yeah. sandwiches and stuff like mm. that. But God, it's just good like that. Tonight, yeah. I got it up right now. I just pulled it out of my oven. What I'm thinking about doing is... Uh, just setting that whole thing down on the tabletop. Oh, yeah. Just be like, dig in, watch the bones. So good. Uh, I did the, okay. old, the old street taco last night with turkey legs. Why street? Were you on a street? No. Kitchen taco. Kitchen taco. Yeah. Or backyard taco. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but yeah. you, you, you cooked the legs. Yep. Legs and thighs. Pulled it. You know what else I got in there with my thing? What? I haven't sampled it yet. I threw a hunk of bear scrap in there. Just a scrap of bear meat. 
Mm. Just to see. Just Test to kitchen. See. Uh, when you made your tacos, what'd you put on them? Uh, as far as like fixings? Fixings, yeah. Some avocado, some, um, a little bit of lime, um, some onion, some taco sauce, um, sour cream. Nothing if, real fancy. If you really want to please your uh, woman, Seth, what I would do is uh, pick the meat. Yep. Okay. Lightly toss it with some oil and kind of fluff it up so it looks like a little bird's nest. Stick it under your broiler. Mm. Then put it on your taco. That's what I usually, I didn't do it last night because I was being lazy, but usually I pan fry it then. Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, chupacabra seasoning. Yeah. The green taco seasoning. Which Brody's kids think is too spicy. That's right. Every, well, kid, every kid on the planet <laughs> thinks that's too spicy. Right? Uh, mine don't. Oh, really? My kids have no problem with it. Huh, tough you, little kids. You get that stuff or something's uh, wrong with them. into the air in the kitchen, it'll definitely put you down. Um, <laughs> but. Really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just, you mean if you're just like inhaling it? Yeah. Free floating particles? Yeah, I can picture that. Um, I tossed a elk shank in that stuff, threw it on the grill, got it all looking nice, and then threw that in the sous vide for like. A long time, 12 plus hours, and then pulled it out. Uh, once my, my test for a shank in the sous vide is to try to find where uh, the tendon is coming out all clear. And if you can poke that tendon and it just kind of splits apart and forms around your finger, then oh. the elk shank's done. Huh. Now, do you always grill pre sous vide? Well, you know, I told you I had the antelope neck in there too, mm-hmm. and I didn't grill it. Prior to, I just threw it in the bag and, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if that's why it took that. Cause when you char something, it's supposed to create like the, what is it? Maillard process, which is, uh, you know, it's starting to break down. Not familiar with it. Um, so I'm wondering if grilling the shank accelerated the shank breaking down that much faster than the antelope neck that had already been in there for 24 hours. And the shank got done faster than the antelope neck. Anyway, pulled the shank out, uh, pulled all that meat, and dusted it real heavy with the chupacabra green taco. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm still working our way through our spice kit. By the way, and it's kind of like going oh, al- going alphabetical. Son of a gun, that's good. Um, and put some of that wagyu beef fat in the skillet and crisped it up that way. That makes a mean kitchen taco. Oh, that's good. Yeah, uh, actually, Maggie came over and filmed uh, in the garage a gun setup video that we did, and so I I got to feed her kitchen tacos. She enjoyed. She approved. Good. Yeah. Nice. That's good stuff. Um. So let's talk about my my draw. I drew a mountain goat tag real quick. Um. Not Con- real quick. Took congratulations, forever. Congratulations, Steve. Yeah. Just got word today. I didn't. I was unsuccessful. Just got word today. How many years did you put in? Well, I was putting in before they even came out with bonus points. Approximately, um, what year did you start? Ninety six. Ninety seven. 96, 97. More than half your life. No. Yeah. Close. Your math is bad. 
If I was better. 2020, 96. Brody's correct. Oh, he is. Jeez, Brody. <laughs> I thought you were old. Not only um, was he good at math, but just like has a real way of making it feel profound. You're right. Half my life. Yeah. Yeah, Drew. Good job, Brody. But check this out. My brother moved to this state. Granted, he never moved away. He just stayed put. He moved to this state right when I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. In that in that time, he drew mountain goat, moose. There's like I should give you a little background. There's three tags that are real hard to draw here. I mean, there's all kinds of special units, but in the state of Montana, there's three moose, sheep, and goat are like real hard to draw. As in most states. Yeah. All over the West. Moose, sheep, and goat hard to draw. Uh and the time that I've been putting in, so so he drew goat, moose, bighorn, goat again. Okay. And I drew finally goat. And when you draw, when he drew mountain goat the first time, he had to go wait seven years to start all drawing again. And then mm-hmm. waited seven years to draw another damn goat tag. Yeah. I think he's quit applying now, right? He's taking himself he out. Barely even when he drew his last goat tag, he barely even went. Yeah. He half assed it. But he's he's doing that not because he's kind of over it, but because I think he think he feels like he should take himself out of the running, right? And give no. other folks no? Really? He told you that? I don't know. No. So he's just bored of it. He's like, ah, no, whatever. He was like, he was like, I'm gonna get an elk, then I'll go get a mountain. He wanted to get an elk. But I'm saying he I don't think he's participating anymore in the draws. Is he still applying for sheep again? Let me You'll have out. to ask. Um, yeah, I keep, thought the story was he yanked himself out because he's Already, already done it. So did he get the second goat? No. He didn't really care. Wow. He got his once in a lifetime tags taken care of. If you don't care, I guess don't apply. I'm, text, I'm texting him right now in case people are wondering what happened to the host. But they're not. Uh, they're not once in a lifetime in Montana, obviously. Well, right? yeah. For most people, they are. You, you can. You can talk to that point, right? No, we were hanging. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to have a long life, <laughs> a long, long, capable <laughs> life. So yeah. now, but but the point being, you're you're all upset about how you've been putting in and never drew, but they didn't start doing they didn't start doing bonus points till till later. Well, yeah, and and to the state of Montana. Um, so what year did you really put? Were you really putting in before I was? Were you really putting in back in 1996? And you're wrong, Giannis. He did put in. Cal said oh. 25 years. Yeah. I mean, I've been putting in since I was able to apply. Right? Unless my dad was just totally screwing with me. He's lying. Yeah. He's like, son, I didn't give you any allowance because I put you in for a goat tag. Right. He's lying. Yep. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the whole bonus point thing, I just hate that that's even a part of the conversation. Don't, We've already talked totally about disagree. that. It's the worst thing Montana's ever done to people other than let non-residents apply. <laughs> you know, they should be ashamed, the whole state. Um, you weren't singing that tune when you were living in Idaho and still applying over here, were you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, here's where I screwed myself a little bit too. I was so disgusted and heartbroken and ashamed to call myself a Montanan uh, due to the fact that we instituted a bonus point program that's not even really a bonus point, um, that I Preference refused point. to even purchase them a few years, which, you know, only hurts myself. But Why is it not a tr- bonus it. point? What? What? 
You were so upset you quit drawing? No, I had to apply, but I wouldn't get the bonus point. Huh. Yeah. That makes zero can, sense. Can you real quick explain to people what a bonus point is, in case they're curious? And then two, explain why you would um why you would do that to yourself. And then three, why it's not a bonus point, even though they call it that. And four, what system you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my so the, okay, no. you want me to give it to that order again? You're gonna <laughs> now explain. I'm gonna go from from top to bottom. What system I prefer? No, no, I think no. Idaho's no. First, got explain it. the yeah, system. That's the way to explain, do it. What, what is it we're talking about? Um, so a bonus point is basically a uh something that instead of putting your name in the hat once, you put your name in the hat twice if you have a bonus point. Can, and can so I take a stab at it real quick? Yeah, go for it. I hate it so much. I mean, okay. it's just stupid. Let's say you have a, <laughs> uh, let's say the interest in the resource outweighs the resource. And you have, um, you have, you've determined that you can kill 10 mountain goats out of a mountain range without damaging the population. But there's a hundred people that are like, I'll go. Well, you got to pick 10 of them. So they pick 10 of them by having a drawing. And all, all hundred of those people send in an application. They send 10 of them a tag. What happens to the other 90 people? They say to them, but here's a consolation prize. You get a bonus point. So the next year, we do the same thing all over if again. If you pay an extra $2. Give, if you give us $2. Or $5 or $10 or $50 or whatever. Next year, when we do this all over again, you'll get an extra point, meaning your name will be in the hat two times next year because you're a loyal customer. Ten years goes by. This guy is like, I still haven't drawn one of these damn tags. You're like, well, guess what, buddy? Your name goes in the hat now 10 times because you've tried 10 times, and that keeps some whippersnapper who hasn't been with the program and hasn't been participating from coming in and gobbling up the tag out from under a guy who should be getting some preferential treatment for the fact that he's a return customer. And doesn't Montana square them? Squares so he, them. Yes. Yeah, so Not at get, first. Now right. they square them. So when I send my stuff in, I'm in there like 400 times. Right. Which I love the fact <laughs> that you guys are like so excited about it, right? Because <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, gosh, free it's beer like, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now what's the, what's wrong with the system? You think it should be the young whippersnappers come in and have the same rights as a, as a repeat diehard sticking to it, long time supporter conservationist. Conservationist. What I think is once you draw a tag, you should be done if you are successful. So it's more of a once in a lifetime thing, and then that just accomplishes. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, that was uh, question number four on this topic, <laughs> I believe. Um, yeah, and and I think this idea of like accruing points when everybody else is on the same point system, and then everybody's points get squared at the same time, and it's just adds a bunch of bureaucracy bureaucratic crap to this system. The whole the system's bureaucratic. Yeah. By definition, it's put on by a bureau. And <laughs> then uh, folks like me, who just like to think about hunting and the outside and enjoying life, have Purists. to start thinking about math in regards to no, something. No, they, the, they do the math for you. You don't get to sucks. write down how many times you ought to be in there. Uh, we were on a conversation today, right? Sam Lundgren. Okay. Uh, Drew Moose Tag, right? Good for him. And uh, 
He's like, yeah, it was the first year that I really got in the nitty gritty. And I started comparing all the units and all the blah, 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 smart, blah, blah, smart. blah, blah, And I found out that this one gives me a 1.9% chance of drawing. And that's the unit where I drew the tag. Great. It's like, oh boy, that, first you made me hate moose hunting. <laughs> and then you got a moose tag. Isn't that great? Um, Dude, to, to be honest with you, Cal, this is like, I mean, it's in the best possible way. But uh, <laughs> the criticism you're given is like, uh, it just sounds like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Old curmudgeon. Pointless <laughs> whining. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm not going to stand up there and say I'm the, I'm the smart guy in the room for not buying into the system like uh, everybody else who'd fucking walk off a bridge if they saw somebody else walk off a bridge. <laughs> um <laughs> Hey, there's a lot of states that don't, don't do it. Yeah, there's states like that don't it. do it. Like they don't do it in Alaska, which is a great state to, you know, do do the permits yeah. and hunt. Idaho, New, New Mexico, Mexico. Uh, Wyoming for goats. Huh. And uh, Buffalo still, I think. Yeah, Montana for bison. My yeah. approach on it, they don't do bonus points for bison? No, it's uh, as far as I know, it's all uh, everyone has the same chance. Which is a lottery, which is what, pure lottery, which is what you prefer. Yeah. Everyone's got the same chance. And you yeah. think the minute, let's say it is pure lottery, okay? It's pure lottery, no bonus yeah. points. You think the minute someone goes in and reads the provided pamphlet, and the provided pamphlet gives you the percentage chances you'd have of drawing a tag, that not only ruins the draw, but it ruins the hunting for that species. No, it doesn't. I just don't like having that stuff forced upon me and I've run into so many people in the hunting industry where it's like that's their brain and it's like mm. statistics and then the inches and then the meh and the <laughs> and uh, it just you just want to go hunting man I just want to go hunting like me too that's why I pay awesome. attention to the drawings <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way to get a lot of extra opportunity is, yeah. is looking at that little chart yeah, that shows and, you uh, if you're if you're on the mark or not. You know, it's a it's an in good faith sense of entitlement too. It's like, well, I'm I'm good guy and I help lots of people learn how to hunt and and I faithfully apply every time, even though I think the system is god awful and terrible and Montana ruined it for no good reason halfway through my life. Um, I should just get one of those tags here one of these days. That's you, and you it's feel just that not way. working oh. out. What? Uh, what is the? Why do they? Why do they do it? Like, what is the? What? What? what what's to gain from doing the system? Uh, do they make more revenue somehow? Yeah, they they were making more revenue. Yeah, I bet one thing it does is it creates dudes like me who are damn sure not going to miss a year because you got to get them points. Yeah, it's like frequent flyer mentality. Yeah, you and, start being like, good thing I'm flying somewhere. I'll but, get more frequent flyer status. <laughs> the true point system, you know, so we have a bonus point, but, uh, you know, there's lots of units oh, that, that was one, that of, the, that was one of the 18 questions Cal uh, was supposed to be tackling. Colorado, right, where it's like, no, That's if the whole state, if you get X amount of points, you will draw this tag. Not necessarily if you get an X amount, but that you have more than anybody else. The only way you're... It's true preference. Like yeah, if I like, have 10 and you have 9, I will draw before you do. Yeah. Yeah. The max point holders 
and that are guaranteed. And that stuff always bummed me out too, because I was like, "So <clears throat> you're just telling me do not apply to all of these opportunities." Explain point creep, Yanni. I, I Miles Ron, so, then we got to get to going. Yeah. Here's what. Let me do that. Let me say this. Ladies and gentlemen, you asked and we answered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special question episode. First, we're going to spend three hours <laughs> having people air their grievances about the fact that I put in the time and effort and money and drew a goat tag. I'd be lying if I wasn't thinking. I'm like, man, jealous. I hope. Remember that song, Gene Loves Jezebel? Who was that? Jealous. An avalanche <laughs> sweeps Steve off, like right about when he's about ready to touch that round off. And then his kids are going to be so bummed about hunting, they'll never put in for a special draw tag. That'll increase my odds. That's his long play. At least I won't have to be competing with them or Nella kids. Explain point creep, Yanni. Just, just, just because. Well, just because like we've explained like it a thousand times in, in the past. Colorado, and I don't know what other states have true preference. Um, Wyoming, Wyoming, maybe Arizona. True no, preference Wyoming. being, well, yeah, I'll explain it. But oh. I'm still, yeah, Arizona, I think is more of a bonus system because I think you always have an actual chance. But in Colorado, it's true preference. Um, surprisingly, only for deer and elk, not. For they use um, a mix the trophy kind of system for the other ones. Yeah. Um, there it's more like a bonus point. But the preference point basically means that um, if there are, you know, 10 applicants that all have the max points, which means they've been applying every year since the, the program started, that, and it might be, I think these days it's getting up near 30, isn't it? Yeah. Close to 30 years have been doing it. So those people that have max points will draw first before the people that have one point less than them, and so on down the line it goes. And so in point creep, there's so few tags in some of these units that these people with all these points want that every year it takes one more point to draw it, meaning that the max bo- max point holder pool never gets Oh, used doesn't up. get satisfied. Yeah. yeah. So the in guys are 25 year. points this year. There was 20 of them, 10 and of them And they're not drew. cleared off the docket. That's right. So the next year it takes 26. The you minimum. Know, all the just times keeps... you've explained is I never really understood it. Yeah, the minimum just keeps going up every year. Yeah. yeah. It used to be. Because just... you're not like, oh, now like you're sitting on 19 points. You're like, oh, now all the 20-point guys are gone Yeah. because they got their shit. They're not gone. And it's going to come down to how big that yeah. pool of people is. Because if it is what I'm explaining, like 10 tags and 20 people in the max bonus point pool, sure, it'll only take two years to pull them out, yep. and it would drop down to the next one, right? So every other year, you'd kind of reset a little bit. But I think some of those, there's people that have, there's hundreds of people that have max bonus points. So it depends on preference where- Preference points. Yeah, max preference points. So it depends on where they're putting their energy in, you know, where they're applying. I'd like folks to know, um, folks out there sitting who are thinking like Cal, who are like, geez, Louise, really? That there's a couple states, dry desert states, dry desert states that just have low populations, low wildlife populations and high populations of people. So you go like Arizona and you have like the Phoenix area, right? Salt Lake City or in Utah. So you got like big population centers, dry climate. Not tons of ag necessarily. That's not tons of farming that supports high wildlife numbers. Anyhow, there's some states out there where a lot of hunting opportunities are tied to drawing permits. Like that, you could 
you could feasibly be a resident of one of these states and and not really draw and have a year where you don't get a good opportunity to hunt big game. Oh, that can happen. For the most part, though, what we're talking about is like elite group of hard player type stuff, meaning um, most states have, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can hunt. You go down to the gas station and you buy your permits. We're typically talking about uh, states that allocate either like a, a certain species, which are not abundant species, um, and they'll allocate hunts that way, or certain areas where a state will carve off a little chunk of, of itself and be like, this is going to be an area where we're going to really limit how many people can hunt there and uh, um, and, and try to like grow extra big specimens of animals in this area and create like this really amazing experience. And so we're going to do a permit draw allocation here. But this is not what it takes to do all this. And there are plenty of people that hunt their asses off every year that don't do these permit draws. But once you get into them, I find it's fun just for its own sake. I view it as something even more than a means to an end. Just like Cal hates, um, like I actually kind of like I, I take enjoyment in it. Today it's like, was ga- like it feels like it feels like gambling, but I don't like to gamble. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I made a lot say, of bets. If Trump wins, I win four hundred bucks. Four different people hundred dollar bets. Hard <laughs> player. <laughs> when Steve says hard player, this is a group of hard players. Elite group of hard players. Think of it like a craps table. <laughs> I didn't say this where is a group of. Where there may be one or two at the craps table. That uh, you'd call an athlete, whereas the rest are just sitting there smoking and they like rolling dice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a system. Yeah. You can become a guy that counts cards. Not that you count cards and crap. What's what's a craps version of what I'm trying to say? You know the odds. Yeah. You could be like a real, an elite hard player. And and get a lot of value out of the system, or you could be a guy that just sits down and wants to have a free drink and lose some money, and 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 wind up coming away feeling a little burned. <laughs> Hoping Steve <laughs> slides down a mountain. But I'll point out, this is the after all these years. Okay, this this is the first I've been applying since 1990. Let's say 1997. Let's be extra safe. 1997. I, I didn't do it as not. I didn't apply as non-resident or uh, you know, uh, 1997. Yeah. This is the first time I drew one of these things in all these years. Yeah. Okay, it's not like I'm not like the guy cleaning up and the the pit boss is like calling up to the up floor to have him watch me through the camera. Like I'm just a dude, man. I'm a dude grinding it out, and I would think that you'd be happy. <laughs> do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, one last quick thing. Tell uh, Seth, tell uh, tell everyone what Rick Smith's observation was the other day. My favorite sentence of all time. Oh, he he <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he says, "How can it be cold outside when my balls are still clammy?" Yes, great question. Um, <laughs> I modified it to be like sweaty, but th- that's what he was getting at. And it's like, and it's like, I was like, you know, Rick, that is a really good question. I don't understand it either. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cal, I'm sure it was a little um, sarcastic too, but in your little, in the email that you sent back when you were, when you were all pissy about not drawing anything, you were also telling all of us out-of-staters to pack our bags and go home to increase your odds. I should amend that and say because you guys don't have birthright. to apply. Yeah, it should yeah. be a birthright. Yeah. 
I've never seen anyone say that on a social media post during before. During this uh, <laughs> quarantine thing, I was laughing. I was like, go. Need to build a wall around the state. Yeah. yeah. Put people back to work. Mr. Build the Trump. Wall. Build that wall. I'm pro wall, just not down there. Yeah, wasting all that, wasting all that walling material. <laughs> Got a way shorter border. Okay, question. Do you spike by spikes? He's saying spikes. Do you know that there was a uh, there's an ice fishing bait called spikes in Michigan? You know when you get a um, raise your hand if you know what a spike is. Ice fishing. Yeah, a a waxy, a wax worm is like a you know. Little larva. The hell they're from? I knew it one, once upon a time. A waxworm. A spike is one of those that has a tail on it. Or mousies. Yeah, we call them mousies. Mousies mm. and spikes. Mm-hmm. They look like a maggot is with it, a long, thin it's tail. It's like with a little mouse. Yeah. It's like, it's like a little, yeah, it's a maggot with a tail, and you'd call it a spike or a mousy. But this guy, when he says, do spikes always stay spikes? He's talking, do spike bucks? So a buck that throws two pencil antlers. Do they always stay bu- spikes? Is it beneficial to kill them over a big buck because of poor genes? Uh, no and no. No, they do not always stay spikes. And the next year they'll grow a different antler. And two, it's been proven conclusively that if a, a, a buck that's a spike, that does not indicate his destiny as a buck. That's right. He will not always be... Like a little dinky buck. He's got yeah. just as much chance. Just like a little small second grade kid. You can't say, uh, oh, you'll always be, you know, a little small kid. Yeah. I found a spike elk antler on the ground here yesterday. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a nice one too. Oh, man, those are really cool. Yeah, they are cool. How um, long is it? Oh, probably 14 inches. Really? Yeah. Um, the... Uh, the reason that some units have spike, like spike specific tags is, uh, they find that it increases the, uh, health of the herd over time, but it's based off of the fact that you're taking an animal out of the group that's kind of voted, nature's voted it most likely to die anyway. It's in that age class of not making it out of the, the learning curve yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it allows you a way to kill, it gives you a way to kill younger bulls without killing too many younger bulls. Cause it's like, you'd be that, you know, that you might only have X percentage out of the population are going to be that way anyway. Yeah. That they're even going to be eligible to be hunted. Yeah. If you ever get the opportunity to look over a big elk herd, try to pick out all the spikes. Yeah. Know? I've talked to a lot of guys that have drawn spike tags and they're thinking they're just going to be wading around through spikes, but you review <laughs> in your mind, man, it's like, you can go a long time without having a spike in front of you. You know, it's not like they're just everywhere. Yeah, and a lot of places they're protected. You can't shoot them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who highlighted best advice for hunting public lands in pressured areas? Question mark. Not me. Did I do that? Oh, I did. It seems like a very broad Well, question. I was going to narrow it down to a tip. I'll give a tip. I think everyone should offer a tip. It doesn't need to be broadly applicable, but just a tip that comes to mind. So I someone's got, asking, I got one. Go hunting ahead. public lands in pressured areas. My tip, and it's not applicable to all situations, but it's a way of thinking, is 
there are ways, though it's not ideal to be in a high-pressured area with a lot of other hunters competing with you. Um, but my tip is ask yourself, think about, are there ways that I could make this pressure work for me? Um, I've seen that happen. Like places where when all hell breaks loose on opening day, I have a feeling that these deer are gonna blank, right? And make it work for you and have, make it be part of your plan. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. The pressure. Yep. Agree. We used to duck hunt in a spot every year, opening day of duck season, Muskegon Marsh. Your success relied on there being tons of people in the marsh. You got good shooting all day long if you hunted over to stream channels and stuff because people just bump birds all day. And then 10 in the morning, everybody decides to go home, and it really heats up because everybody gets in their riverboat and gets out in the main channel to drive the riverboat back, and they put all the ducks back up in the air again, and it was like you needed it to be high pressure. Which leads me to my hot tip. Go ahead. Would be get up earlier or get up later. So you either beat everyone out there by getting up really early or you sleep in and you get out there about 10 a.m. And uh, wait for them to get out of there. Wait for them to get out. Uh, and you may catch some animals moving because they know the schedule of the bulk of the hunting population. Seth? Um, my tip would be to, there's a lot of surveys out there, like collar, like where, where they're collaring animals in high-pressured areas to see what they're doing. And... Uh, Oftentimes, those surveys reveal that, like, say, a, a big white-tailed buck is hanging out 150 yards, 100, 150 yards from the parking lot because everyone's walking right past it, you know? Yeah. We had that. We had uh, the turkey master, Mike uh, Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Remember, they had this turkey that couldn't be killed. He would even send people out and tell them because they were studying how this turkey couldn't be killed. He'd send people out and say, here's where the turkey is. Go try to get them. They wouldn't be able to get them. Eventually, a guy gets in a fight with his wife, drives down the road, parks at the parking area at the stake or that check station, walks over a hill to pout and kills that turkey. <laughs> yep. 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 There's overlooked areas. <laughs> overlooked yeah. spot. No one was hunting the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. A, a guy that uh, I hunted uh, elk with when I was just starting out archery hunting. Real goofy dude. Really, real fun guy. Um, but that was his thing. Like, you would drive up to the parking lot at the trailhead or whatever his spot was on the side of the road, you know, slam car doors, be talking, and then the second his boot went from gravel to dirt, his body went into creep mode, and he had his cow call in his mouth. And it was, meow. And he'd wait and listen. And he hunted from, I mean, from basically the truck door on. Like the the second he pivoted from away from the truck door, he was hunting, mm-hmm. and and that has definitely served me well. Like not just to blow past all the stuff that everybody else must be. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my tip would be to uh, know that country better than everybody else. Walk it a lot, crisscross it, know every little draw at what every little ridge top looks like, and just really commit the landscape to your memory not just in hunting season probably sure well yeah i mean that's probably not the time i'd be walking around it uh that's the time i'd be hunting it you know 
but uh, I think, man, enough people don't like just know their landscape well enough so that they can be standing anywhere on their pressured land and just know exactly what it looks like on the other side of the ridge or mm-hmm. two, two ridges over. Brody. Which leads to uh, knowing places, like no matter how much pressure a unit is getting, there's still going to be places that aren't getting hunted just because of the way the landscape lays out or where the trails lead or the roads lead. So look for spots to go into where you're bushwhacking, you know, don't use trails and, and find places to access country that's not getting accessed easily by a bunch of other hunters. Bunch of yahoos. That's right. Little Sometimes, pops. though, man, it just is hard. I think, like, staying optimistic, which is hard, too. But sometimes it's just hard. It's hard. That's the reality. Absolutely. Okay. Strategy for when turkeys are calling back but not coming in, which I feel like is that, that's called turkey hunting. <laughs> 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 that's most days that's turkey hunting that's what turkey hunting is it's you hear a bird call and then lo and then lo and behold it does not come in um we any, oh we walked away from some birds this year um and called and then they there were three of them they turned and decided now was the time to come they like ran back right back into our exact same spots that we had been calling from. Oh, you left a spot. Yep. So birds were across this draw. It was way too wide open. They were to, never going to come in. To do anything. So I was like, well, let's just set up and call. We call and call and they're chatting and kind of shutting up for a while and then to call again. And then we're like, oh, this just is not going to happen. So get up walk up on top of the ridge, which was only about 75 yards probably, call again. And then, you know, it was just the response was like, well, now we're coming. Like they they gobbled back and I look and I could see these three black dots just kind of like charging our way. Yeah. Like they just, their mood changes. (laughs) Yeah. And just, and ran right back up into our same previous butt divots in the grass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and three minutes later that Tom was right there with a hen. Because they felt you were leaving. I guess, yeah. Or maybe they could hear us better because we got up a little bit higher. I do not know, but it that sure changed their tune. Trick coincidence too, you know. Oh, yeah, they just absolutely. Decide to come sometimes. Uh I don't know. I, I like I like to change angles on them. When they're when they're doing that, if possible. Well, after you left me in uh, around Missoula last week, I listened to some birds gobble for an hour over on private, and I wasn't going to suck them over, so I just walked away. At that point, you can't swing around on them. But had they been doing the same thing, and I was able to go over there, I would have just uh, you know come at them from 180 degrees the other direction. You know, try to get in front of them if whatever way they're moving. I think if you can, if you, de- if you determine that that bird is moving, like he's just out cruising, which they'll do, man. It was like late morning, middle of the day. They move. One, you think that you, you get all excited because he's traveling around goblin. So you're like, well, this bird's good as dead because he's obviously out looking for hens, you know, but it's like he's 
he is, but he's doing something different too, which I'll never fully understand. But that does not necessarily mean he's going to come in. But sometimes if you can get ahead of him, it can change. We called him one this year. This thing was just gobbling, 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 gobbling. We were behind it. And eventually it slowed down and started messing around long enough for us to pass him up. And then he came right in when it was kind of more not following him, chasing him, but came in. Um, oh man, I don't know. Different angles, getting in their zone more. I think that there's, I've talked about this a bunch. I don't know if it's true or not, but it feels true to me is that there's like a, there's a proximity where they, they sort of can't, they don't want to ignore you. You know, they're going to do something. Maybe you get, maybe they're going to spook or not, but like you get into a certain ring around them. They just perceive their area differently. And I've had, I can think of a few times in my life where they're just gobbling and gobbling and you're calling, they're gobbling, gobbling and nothing. And then you somehow creep into some where, where it, it just can't ignore you. And also, and then they'll like pop over, right? Cause you got so close. They can't ignore you. Uh, also, we this this just the other day. We just came back the next day. Yep, had a bird that was just seemed like unworkable, and came back the next day and just kind of took what we learned from the day before. Walked away from him. Could have stayed out and harassed him. Walked away from him with the plan like, let's come back in the morning. Came back in the morning, um, and it just was different. Well, I don't know, different mood. Something different happened the next day. Like had him just totally in our area, hanging out, got him. And the day before, he was like the impossible turkey, you know? Yeah. Like the one like nightmares are made of, <laughs> right? It's just like, but then the next morning, for whatever reason, he's like ready to roll. <laughs> so. I like uh, I like uh, making noises that turkeys would make other than calling, like scratching the duff, making it sound like there's turkeys there, you know? Because like you hear turkeys in the woods walking around and doing shit without them making a sound. Mm-hmm. So, like, make it sound like a turkey. Yeah, they make you a know? lot of scratching noise. Yeah. And weird little sounds, vocal, weird little vocalizations. Yep. Yeah. So, the like, the back and forth that can get pretty exhausting. Like, I call, then you call, or you call, then I call. Uh, I had two birds this weekend where... This was going on and on and on, and it was in the evening, and I was getting pretty paranoid that they were just going to turn and head for their roost, wherever that was, because I hadn't found it. Um, And this was taking a long time, and eventually they gobbled again, and I just hit them like three times in a row with a yelp, 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 yelp. And all of a sudden they were uh, right in the spot where I couldn't shoot them. But like three yards away, the toms totally strutted up. I'm like, oh, 90 degrees over my left shoulder. Yeah, try changing your calls up, your call sequence up. Give them something different. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. 
And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. I'm also developing this theory about turkeys. I've been developing it for a while. It's not fully developed. Um, is I think there's something going on where you got, like, if you imagine a turkey, you picture that all he's thinking about is sowing his seed, which he's thinking about, and that he views everything as being a prelude to him sowing his seed. But I don't know, however they're wired, I'm starting to feel that turkeys find some value. They get some satisfaction out of just strutting and gobbling. Like that is to them an okay way to spend a day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think like when you when you get a turkey and he comes in and he's 75 yards away and he's just gobbling and having a hell of a time and gobbling and strutting and he doesn't come in, you want to be like, oh, I messed it up. Oh, I spooked him. I just think sometimes, like, he doesn't know what happened. He's just like... He's just doing his thing. That he, To him, that was a totally normal interaction. He gobbled a bunch. He strutted all around. <laughs> he, like, did his thing. And the hen never came to he, him. Yeah, he walked off, and it was She'll like, he's back. like, yeah. he walked off happy. <laughs> and now he's, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. like, it's not like you blew... Because then you want to be like, oh, I blew it. I should have this and should have that. But the turkey's probably like, that was great. That's my mental conversation every time. It's like, oh, I got too close. Oh, I was too far. Oh, I called too much. I called too much. If I'd only called that one more, like after I called and made him gobble like 85 times, (laughs) if I'd only called that one more time, he would have come in. You know, it's like, no. In his mind, it was a great morning. There's a a hen over there, by God. Like, I buy it. (laughs) I just didn't go over there. I'd throw another tip out there that the purists won't like, the purist callers. You can always try sneaking in and bushwhacking them, too. Oh. Uh, did, I tell you, did I tell you something happened to me the other day? No. But, that, I mean, that's how I killed my first couple turkeys. Oh, yeah, When I had man. no confidence in my Raise calling. your hand if you didn't kill your first turkey by bushwhacking it. No hands are up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was our strategy. Yeah, and it still works. Bushwhack them. Yeah. Especially out. We'd spot and stalk them. Yeah. We'd find we could find them in binoculars <laughs> and be like, dude, the minute he goes down in that ditch, run. run. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. And we had a lot of success like that. It's yeah. not nearly as fun. The other day, this is kind of a weird thing that happened, where the other day I wound up, we got set up in the morning, and I wound up having a turkey. I'm not joking because I range found it. Like, I wound up with a turkey. Closer to me in a tree than my decoy. Straight up above you, basically. Neck sticking out. And I was like, you, I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. If I'd have been in there with my kid, he probably would have been able to talk me into it, but I didn't shoot him down out of the tree. Is it legal to do it here? Yeah. Oh, it is. My understanding is, I don't know. My kid would have been putting an enormous amount of pressure on me. You know, me you shoot squirrels out of trees. To get that bird out of that tree. I didn't do it. Someone else grab one. 
Are Birkenstocks considered better or worse than the traditional flip-flop? So funny. I'm not recommending Birkenstocks, but it'll be better than a traditional flip-flop. For sure. Yeah. For shape to your foot. If we're in like a hunting sort of application. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if I had to hunt in my regular flippies or I could wear Birks, which I don't own, I'd go Birks. Oh, yeah. Like the hippie kind with the corks. Flip-flops aren't very quiet because of the flip and the flop. (laughs) (laughs) And Birks are not going to expect the gun. Right. They see you coming through the woods in Birks, they're going to be like, oh, what the the hell is he going to do? They're probably dead. Yeah. What the hell is he going to do? I don't recommend hunting either of them, but... No, but he's saying if. If you have to, go with the Burks. Uh, why do red rock crab get such a bad rap compared to Dungeness crab? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Our kids were picking them up left and right last summer, remember? Yeah. I don't know. The, the, the yield is less. The shells are harder to crack and pick. Um, But they're t- perfectly great... Yeah, I was at that Willow's restaurant, which is like this world famous restaurant on Lummy Island in Puget Sound, um, and they get all their stuff from around there, you know, and they make just crazy stuff. It's really good. You kind of got to go there and spend the night and you eat there, and it takes all damn night to eat there. He does a lot of stuff with rock crab. Yeah, I loved them when we, we were grabbing them. And, last and Jesse Griffith sure likes them. Remember that? Were those stones or rocks? Stones. That's Dude. a way different crab. Or did we get some rocks with Jesse? Are you talking about Jesse or are you talking about Jesse Griffiths? Um, we're trying to get stones. Josh Gaines. No. Oh. Is he? He did Red Rock. Yeah. But with Jesse, we were, That's we got stone. We were after stones, but we, no, we were yeah, after we're blues. Yeah. yeah, I got stones. Yeah, we're after blues. Stones, stones are the one Sorry. you can just keep the claw off. Yeah, I'm messed up. Right. I'm all yeah. mixed up. Uh, I, I think they're great. I think that um, there's also a thing that happens where people have notions that they picked up from people that had notions. And they picked up those notions from people that had notions, and none of the notions matter. It's sort of like a, how antelope don't taste good, how mule deer are not as good as whitetail. Just dumb stuff people say, like trafficking and dumb stuff. I like stuff you don't. I mean, you don't even have to trap those things. You just wait around and grab them. Can you grab. Them? There is something to be said for an easy to pick crab, though. Yep. Here's a great question. What are your thoughts on the notion of Pleistocene rewilding? I think it is a complete waste of time. It I'm is not, so fun to think about. I'm not no. interested. Pleistocene rewilding, uh, for you folks at home, is that you would um, either re, you would either through genetic wizardry um, bring back, right? like clone from whatever shit melting out of the permafrost that you would clone extinct ice age mammals from the Pleistocene um, fauna and, and cut them back loose. And some people are like, Oh, the hell with that. What you do is you just go get the closest approximation. that's still running around and cut that loose. So with that thinking, you'd say like mammoths are gone, but let's go get some African elephants and cut those loose on the great plains and they used to have horses here during the Pleistocene, so we'll go get horses from Siberia or Mongolia and cut those loose. And on down the line. And you put all the junk back to make it look like it looked a long time ago. Uh, I think it's a distraction. A fun distraction. It's a fun distraction. Yeah. I think that we should spend our efforts 
if if you're going to make the goal it comes down to like if you're going to make the goal like the goal is to look like x i just don't think you need to go back 13,000 years and have that be the goal yeah i mean so a huge argument for this rewilding, right, is to limit the amount of greenhouse gases that are being released out of the permafrost. And that's uh, because uh, in a lot of these areas, you have this encroachment of trees, willows, brush that um, was not there when uh, all this Pleistocene fauna was out there because they uh, actively deforested the area. Uh, so like bison, uh, woolly mammoth, the horses, uh, the different bovine species, they would be hell on trees just like you see if you have any of those animals in your area or the current approximations of them, they'd rub up on trees and they kill trees. Like and, elephants and giraffes and whatnot. Or, el- you know, elk and elk are hell on small trees too and they do it to a certain degree. Um, anyway... You expose that ground and it gets a deeper frost and that's what's keeping the, the permafrost. And yeah, I've read that. I've read, read that it. argument for, for re, rewilding the tundra. For rewilding the tundra. But there yeah. was a movement to rewild the Great Plains. And that's just for, for funsies? Just people have, yeah, probably. No, oh. they had like little summits about it, little conventions. Oh. And it was that you'd bring in like, well, the American lion is gone, so we'll get an African lion. The woolly rhino is gone. We'll just get a regular rhino. Oh. Maybe a zebra. I don't know. No, no. And just start cutting stuff loose so it looked like it did a long time ago. It's beyond fancy. Like, there's people that write whole damn books about this. Oh. Rewilding. Yeah. But I guess the... I, I'm all into rewilding. I just don't know that you need to rewild to, like, a time we didn't understand. No. I think you just... Like, in my mind, like, if we're going to be like, what's the benchmark? I'd be like, the benchmark would be, in my mind... Uh, Oh, the time of European contact. Yeah. I, I guess if there was a, a purpose, though, like it, a contemporary example, right, is uh, Anthony Licata and I are hiking on this ridge in Sonora. And as you guys know, and for those who don't, like there's cactus and big things with needles and nettles and, and really thick brush everywhere. Um, but it's pretty darn open on this ridge because and there's cow crap everywhere, like domestic cattle crap everywhere. And Lakata says, he's like, man, I'd love to see this place without the cattle and see what, what it'd be like. So you'd be back to 1400s, late and, 1400s? But I was like, man, looking at this place, I would almost guarantee you there's no possible way we could walk on this ridge line if there were no cattle. Oh. Because those cattle are the reason that this area is opening up, opened up enough for us to cruise through here. Yeah. And it's probably to a degree, you know, letting in enough sunlight to grow grass and stuff like that. And if you went back to the mid 1500s or whatever it'd be as far back as you'd have to go to get pre-cattle because, you know, the cattle been running there since since the 1500s. Um, there was probably a hell of a lot more large herbivores on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would think. I'm kind of becoming like the older I get, the more I'm becoming kind of like a cattle apologist, man. I found myself being a cattle apologist the other day where I was driving down the road and a friend of mine was talking about, man, they sure destroy the riverbanks. And I was just thinking, I mean, 
Yeah, but I mean, we we keep talking about. I mean, I know they they did they had like more of a rotational and migrated and all that, but like Buffalo were on the riverbanks. They'd pound it and then they'd be gone for a year or whatever. But I just like I don't know that the whole I don't know that the whole answer to solving all of our problems if it was just if we just got rid of the cattle. <laughs> yeah. So I think then we'd we'd just have a whole bunch more houses. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, good, uh, well grazed ground. You know, is great for a ton of different bird species. You got to have those different uh, heights of grass for um, invertebrate life, which is important for the poults. And, you know, we just like to think of things so in such a binary way. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it's with cattle or without. Are yeah. you with guy or without guy? Yeah, because you go to places that are just new too. Yeah. You go to places that are way overgrazed. Um, yeah, and it can be like, there's like, people who make mistakes or bad actors but yeah. there's also people who you know run cattle like very responsibly and and, and it's not as some people would let you believe that it's just like if it was only we could only get rid of cattle it would be like the the earth would blossom you know yes. I, I i think it's a little bit too simplistic i agree uh i remember being out with a guy one time who used to do uh he used to do he used to run lease programs for blm and we were up in a Elk Meadow, and he was saying, if if I got called up here and cattle had done what these elk had done, he goes, if I got called up here and cattle had done this, I'd have to have a talk with this guy. <laughs> it was like that bombed out by that bombed out so by elk. Funny. Jeez, must have been a good spot. <laughs> yeah, it was just a spot where they going in calf, you know, and just hundreds of them hanging out in there, just mm. yeah, pawed up, and you know, he was, he, I mean, he was making a joke, but you get, the, yeah. you get the point of the joke. Yeah, where. Where I think it, where it is extremely bad is like right now what's going on in South America where they're just chopping yeah. large chunks of the rainforest to make land for cattle to graze on. Yeah. That's problematic on a whole bunch of levels. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing though, right? It's like, do you want cattle or do you not want cattle? Well, I want well-managed cattle. Is that an option? Nope, it's not an option. <laughs> <laughs> It's all or none. It's kind of a moot point because there's no world in which we're not going to have cattle, right? So, oh yeah, it's like the well, let's go back. Uh, can you imagine this place before man? It's like nope, and nobody else can. Yeah, <laughs> like didn't didn't exist for our. Okay, who's going to grab the next question? I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the how safe is it to eat raccoons? I uh, I highlighted that one. And not because I know how safe it it is to eat raccoons, but I was talking a little bit with Clay Newcomb about it, and uh, he was explaining to me that there are like if you're worried about, I think a lot of people are scared of raccoons and eating raccoons because they associate them with dumpster diving, where yeah, a raccoon cares? in the wild is not really the dumpster diver that say he's not a scavenger for the most part. No, who cares if he is? Well, I think that uh, scavengers tend to taste worse because they're eating rotten meat, you know? Yeah. Well, like, uh, for instance, for you, a buddy of mine <laughs> on his wall has this huge pig skull. And he's a California guy. And he's like, that? And I'm like, wow, that's a big pig skull. Where'd you get that? Thinking it'd be like Texas or something. It's got big tusks. He's like, that's a California pig. He's like, that's the biggest California pig. I've, I've ever, ever gotten. And, uh, I was like, oh yeah, what's the story on that? He's like, well, uh, not much. 
I came around the corner. It was head down feeding, jumped out, shot it, went up there, and it was face down in a pile of dirty diapers. (laughs) 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 And he did not eat that pig. Yeah, like that. Okay, that kind of dumpster diving shirt. Uh, Yeah, I've had raccoon. I don't, it's just like, it's like a, we just cooked it every which way imaginable. Yeah. Um, I think the only legitimate health concern would be that I think that they not think they'd be trichinosis carriers. Mm-hmm. What about rabies? They they are known carriers. Yeah, but you're not going to get rabies from eating the meat if you cook it. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people's worry though. I think a lot of people associate raccoons with rabies. You want to know? Uh, want me to tell you something? Just wear latex gloves. Watch. Check this out. In our book, we're doing um our wilderness skills. Uh, our Wilderness Skills and Survival book that we're doing. Yeah. Me and Browdy. Writer's Cramp. Do I have Writer's Cramp? Dude, hammering. Hammering. <laughs> Anyways, check this out. This is in our book. 70% of the rabies cases in this country come from what critter? Domestic cats. <clears throat> Skunks. <clears throat> Rats. <clears throat> Birds. Oh, <clears throat> bats. 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 Really? Globally, guess what percent? Guess what percent come from dogs globally? Uh, globally, way over ninety percent of rabies cases are attributed to domestic dogs in the oh. U.S. Because we treat the shit out of dogs, seventy percent are bats. Wow, raccoons, foxes, and stuff are high up. The CDC is saying that. Um, you can get it from non-bite exposures, like scratches, abrasions, or open wounds that are exposed to saliva or other potentially infectious material from a rabid animal. Other types of contact, such as petting, um, coming in contact with blood, urine, or feces of a rabid animal, are not associated with risk for infection. So I think that eating the meat would fall under the latter. Well, yeah, because it's bacterial. You're going to cook it. Virus. But yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry. You're going to cook it. <laughs> Um, hold on, let's back up. Yeah, so don't go messing around in the uh, raccoon's mouth. Yeah. So if you got the chance of trichinosis, you got the chance of getting rabies from handling raccoons. But once you cook them, I think you're fine. But when we cooked to make it good, we did it every which way. We had Bo Jackson on this show, like the athlete, famous athlete. He talks about, he's got, ra- he's got good rac- raccoon recipes. Clay Newcomb, spelled Newcomb, but pronounced Newcomb. Um... Clay Newcomb, how's, how's Clay cook him? Uh, you know, I don't think he's done, he's eaten it too much. I think he was telling us that for the first time, a, another fella that he's been hanging with came over and made some, uh, you know, like this, street tacos out of that <laughs> raccoon. Yard tacos. For him, and uh, he said it was delicious. So I think some sort of a braising, Yeah, you know. It's probably similar then, to Black it, Bear. Oh, I'm sure, man. Yeah. When we when we had it, we braised it. I think we braised it, then grilled it. We yeah. Just braised it to get it tender. Well, when I get my first coon, I'm definitely eating that thing. Oh yeah. In the old days, like in old books, people were always soaking it in vinegar, and then cooking it. Hmm. It's like in the old days. Yanni, you, you gonna take th- your dog out for raccoons? Is that what you're you're fixing on? Maybe. I need to start getting them after something. And there are quite a few. I've been seeing a lot of raccoons on the de- uh, streets dead around here lately. I've I've seen that too. I know. So, yeah. Huh. But, uh, yeah. 
But no, I was going to go down and, and uh, chase him with uh, Clay Newcomb. Oh, there in cool. Ar- Arkansas. Very cool. Next. Get ready for the next one. Best way to cook smallmouth bass. I think the best way to cook smallmouth bass is to make a sandwich out of it, a fish sandwich, like how they make down in Florida everywhere. You take the fish, you flay the fish, get the flay off, skin the flay, and then you do uh, John Gary's signature zipper pin bone removal technique, which I think we talk about in one of our books. I can't really explain it over there. <sighs> Picture you got a smallmouth flay laying there. It's skinned, but skin side up. So what would be the skin side up? And you feel in the middle of the flay running like laterally, you'll feel that little line of pin bones running down there. You get to the end of that little, so you move from the front part of the flay toward the tail and you feel where that little line of pin bones ends. Then you cut a little V through the flay right at that point. And then you grab it like you're opening a zipper. And that little, that little V tab is your zipper pull. And you grab that. You've seen me do this, Yanni, because it works on rockfish too. Mm-hmm. You grab that and pull it like you're opening the zipper. And all those pin bones come out connected. Then it's the perfect sandwich size. You get a hoagie roll that's like the exact same size as your smallmouth. And you bread and fry that filet and you put it on your hoagie roll with... um. Pickles, onion, lettuce, sriracha. Am I saying that right? Yeah. 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 Sriracha. Sounds great. We used to not do that. We used to just put mayo and stuff on it, but then I got into putting the sriracha on it. Man, it's a good sandwich. We we had a we Matt Elliott, who you know, competitive uh bass fisherman. Uh what do you call it? When you call it not quite pro. Amateur. Amateur competitive bass <laughs> angler. Like smallmouth specialist, and we went smallmouth fishing him. That somebody had never eaten a smallmouth. We made him a sandwich. He enjoyed it. He said he didn't want his wife to eat one of those sandwiches because she would wonder what he'd been doing all that time, letting all those smallmouths go. Uh, another term that you love uh, on the half shell. No, I like it <laughs> because all I'm doing is not. I'm just not uh, descaling. The fillet. So you take take your fillet, throw that thing. I put a little salt on there, mm-hmm. and just put it on indirect heat on the barbecue. And in a about six minutes, you can grab that thing and hook your thumbnail into the fillet into the skin. Sorry, into the skin, and give it a shake, and that whole side of meat will just slide right off the skin. Right onto your plate. And it is beautiful and delicious. My childhood fishing mentor would cook largemouth bass flays that way. I've Grilled. never, I've eaten one largemouth. He would soak, he'd take the skin off, soak it in milk. Not, no, sorry, leave the skin on. Take the flay off, leave the skin on. Soak it in a bath of milk, which is a big thing where I grew up, putting stuff in milk all the time. Then grill it. Yeah. What is? Yeah. I know there's been articles and stuff written, but I I've never dunked anything. I in the mouth. feel I don't. It's like it's hard to explain. Is this supposed to like pull blood out of? Meat I or feel that it that it diminishes. If you got a fish that has like a muddy, weedy kind of taste, I'd hate to go up in front of like a scientific committee on this or something, or like testify <laughs> to Congress about it. But 
I feel that it takes the muddy weediness away from stuff. There, I just said it. I feel as though that's true. And what I feel is all that matters. <laughs> if I feel that it's true, it must be. I'm sure it helps when you're like, well, I just committed a half gallon of milk to this. So it, something's going to happen. Okay, here's a great question. No one's going to know the answer to this, but we can speculate on it. Can you trap Burmese pythons with 330 bears? I'm out on this one. Uh, yeah. I think that you'd run into a lot of problems of, uh, to use, okay, in setting 330 bears, you are needing to um, channel, you're either needing to like read sign real good so you know right where that animal you're trying to catch is going. The thing most commonly caught with 330s, they use them for wolverines and whatnot, but mostly people catch beavers with 330s. And beavers really tell you where they want to go by the sign they leave. They, they dig canals, they have runs, they have entranceways into their lodges, all these ways in which you can look and be like, man, a beaver's going to go here for sure. And you set the 330 there and lo and behold, he passes through there and he got him. I don't know how you would channel or funnel a python. Live bait. Put a little rabbit or a mouse inside a cage and... Or maybe get yeah. some pheromone. Because, you know, those males are hunting the females. I, I, right? You're not going to catch them behind the, behind the ears. That's the other thing is you They're might get be, a mid body that it might just it might just not be and effective. it's got to be I think it's got to be the right size python. I feel like a lot would go right through at three thirty. If you had so when you're setting at three thirty, uh, a lot of guys want to set you set it so that the triggers are on the bottom facing up, not up facing down. But if there's any kind of current or whatever, now and then you got to put it triggers facing down because the current will trip it. But all it, all things equal, people like to put the triggers on the bottom so that then it don't mess the hair up when the, when the trigger components are against its back after it gets sprung. I think with a python, you'd want to do like you'd want to position the triggers like you're doing an otter proof set where the triggers are bent low so anything can pass through. Triggers on the bottom so he just crawls over and snacks it. Yeah. But I feel like man, I don't know if you'd hold on to him. I don't know. He might just sliver on out of there. Ah, I, I don't know. I think you'd hold on to him. It just, I don't know if he, I wonder if he'd, he'd probably still be alive when you got there. Yes, absolutely. And the problem is you miss a set on a python. That wily old bugger, you'll never catch him again. He'll <laughs> <laughs> get trap shy. trap shy. He'll go trap shy on you. Besides boots and optics, what is the one thing not to cheap out on for a Western hunt? Ooh. Pack. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, I, I thought about that earlier when I read the, read the question. Because I was thinking, man, if you do get something down, or even if you don't get something down, if you're actually going and packing in, if you're going to do like, say you're going to carry more than 30, 40 pounds, you're yeah. going to pack in overnight. Boy, an ill-fitting pack is can really make shit out of your time out there. Yeah. You know what jumped at me when I saw it? What I got to thinking about? Um, sleeping bags. That too. That was my. A lot of two. people always getting all cold, man. <laughs> sure, cold, and then they show up with a ten pound bag, which you know, out of your forty pounds, boy, you've already, that's a quarter of your weight. Yep, can't have that. People getting cold and people having enormous bags. What you get when you spend money on a good bag is 
You want a good, super puffy bag that's lightweight and scrunches up. And that takes money. I don't, I don't know enough about sleeping bag manufacturing to understand why, but that takes money. That takes a lot of money. You can make a big giant bag that doesn't poof up and it's warm. You make a real cold little bag that does poof up that's warm, but a big, but a warm bag that puckers up. Just blows up like a damn balloon. Costs a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. explain it to you if you Please, want. Please, I'd love to. Yanni, you explained the other thing to me and it finally sunk in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in another year or so, you'll understand sleep high-end sleeping bags. Um, what makes them light and small and expensive is that the quality of the down, the higher the quality, it's going to cost more. And what you get in the higher quality is that what actually keeps you warm and down is its loft which basically makes an insulating layer around your body, right? Well, the higher the quality of the down, the less it takes to make that insulating layer. So you can weigh it and have a half a pound of bad down in in one container and then a half pound of good down in another container, and that good down will be, however much better it is, it'll be three, four times as fluffy. So thus creating more loft and more of an insulating gotcha. layer. Are you tracking? Yeah, I'm tracking. Now, also, you need to have a lightweight outer material because if your material is too heavy on lightweight down, it could actually crush it and crush that insulating you know, cocoon that you're trying to make around you. So you got to have some lightweight material that is also um, tough. It's lightweight and not tough, and you're going to have a big hole in your down bag, and down's going to be everywhere, and that doesn't make for a good insulating layer. Where, uh, that was a great explanation. Where, how, how did you, uh, where did you get trained up on talking sleeping bags? Oh, Ptarmigan Sports in Edwards, Colorado, where I, when I worked retail. When you were a salesman? Sold some sleeping bags. That was a great description. Thanks. I, I feel like that down, a nice down sleeping bag, too, needs to be paired with a nice insulated pad. Mm-hmm. Sleeping pad because you can press that down on your back. You got to have a good pad. Yeah. You got to have a good R value pad. But is that like absolute? I mean, this person wants a need. Like, what is the the next thing? What is the, I don't know why he, why it has to be the one thing, but he's I like, know. what is the one thing? And I don't want to hijack the whole conversation to have it be sleeping bags, but I want to point one more thing out about sleeping bags because I keep seeing people making this mistake. The ratings, like sleeping bags come with a rating about, uh, temperature ratings. And I'm not sure there's a competing rating systems, but a lot of these rating systems are not comfort. It, it, they give it like a survival rating. Meaning if it's zero degrees, you, you won't die. <laughs> but you're going to lay there all night freezing your ass. Yeah. Now, so, I think uh, now the, the, on the tags, they've actually started doing like three different sort of like settings. like Explaining get, that to folks. Explaining it. Be like, you can survive down to this temp. Most people will be comfortable at this temp, and uh, you'll be great at this temperature. That's that's helpful. Yeah, I uh, man, I, I mean, we live in the far north. We're in a northern tier state, uh, but but travel all our damn place. Uh, if I was gonna buy a bag and just have it be my bag, I, it'd be hard to talk me out of not getting a zero or like a ten degree bag. Just versatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you buy a real good one and it pooches up anyways, puckers up, pooches up. What am I trying to say? It compresses well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you just kind of 
don't zip it or do zip it, but just like if you're going to have one bag laying around, I would get a way, way colder bag than you think you need. I agree. Um, full agreement. Okay. Yeah. Other stuff. You can't, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go full on about something. You can't, you can't, you can't, what's the word that he uses here? You can't cheap out. One thing you can't cheap out on. Not counting what is shooting iron. What does he not want to cheap? Boots, boots and, and binos. Yeah. Boots and binos. Sleeping bag, boots, binos. The pack. pack. Clothing. Yeah. Define cheap it- out. Well, like when I first started hunting out west, I was wearing like Carhartt pants and shit like that. And I got by, but man, when you got wet, it sucked. Mm-hmm. Like just walking around sucked, you know? Yeah, it takes all the hair off your legs. Oh, God, <laughs> it's heavy, you yeah. know? And plenty of people still hunting jeans and, you know, yeah, whatever jacket they can grab. But uh, it's great till you get soaked. Cut it. Once you. Once you start using good clothes, it's like you could never go back. I don't yeah, think. it's hard to go back. Yeah, lightweight clothes. Yeah, lightweight, so much of this clothes. stuff, man. When you make the jump that you thought you would never make, I never, I don't need that. And you finally do. You're like, I am an idiot. I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody, but I cannot believe I didn't do this ten years ago. Yeah, I remember when I gave up on gas station coffee. <laughs> <laughs> same thing man after a while I was like man I shouldn't have done that cause yeah. now I, it's hard to go back to gas station coffee yes sir like hot coffee flavored it's like <laughs> yeah that's the only problem with it it's probably not bad coffee they just don't put enough grounds they in don't there. put enough in there so I, yeah I'm, I'm burns your lips and it just tastes like hot water I'm gonna say uh, I'll, I'm gonna go sleeping bag as well um but know that you're just going down a path and this is not the last thing you need eventually you will cross cross the rubicon on yet another purchase that you didn't think you'd need yeah because good stuff's fun People are always like, oh, so you're saying you need a this and that and a this and that and a this and that to go do that? I'm like, no. It's nice. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> it makes me it's enjoy real. my time out there. Yeah. yeah it's oh, not- and you spend more time hunting. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. there's plenty of dudes still plowing Alaska in blue jeans, but man, they spend a lot more time drying out in front of a campfire too where, you know, you don't have to do that if you've got the right gear. I got a little uh, pour-over coffee thing that's foldable, and it clips on your cup, mm. and it's just a washout filter. You know why those are stupid? <laughs> <laughs> and, man, I was like, this is stupid, and Garrett you were right. Smith has one. And he's like, oh, you got to get one of these, Cal. Got to get one of these. And I was like, rolling over in the truck, 4 a.m., fire up the stove, a little pour-over coffee, Reach in the cooler, grab some half and half. It's just a nice way to start a turkey hunt. <laughs> but here's the thing. Once yeah. it's cold out, when it's like sub-freezing, and you've taken all that coffee water and let it drip, let it fall drip by drip through the air, you just got yourself a cold-ass cup of coffee. Yeah, that's we yeah. got onto some of those things and started messing around with them, and it was bad weather to do it in. But it was like it was like you, there was no way to have a hot cup of coffee unless yeah. you reheated it with just a standard 
like a pour over system? We had these little envelopes. Huh. It was these little envelopes of like camp drip. And oh. it came in a little like disposable dealy smack. Yeah. And you'd pour it in and go like drip, 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 drip. And you just watch uh, those drips. They'd just like. Yeah. Yeah. They'd shed their heat. We, yeah. we, uh, like if I use the pour over and the instant both, but I'm like, okay, the weekend it's going to be like this temperature in the morning. Like I'm bringing instant. This bag and drip over. It's like, oh, it's going to be warm. I'll go with the. The pour over. Oh, yeah. So when you I go prefer, to pack, when you go into the, your pantry and you're packing your coffee, you go and have to check weather.com to find out what coffee to bring. Well, you're doing yeah. that anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we checked the weather anyway. Yeah, we legit have been like, oh, well, you know, shit, it's too cold for drip. Going to be too cold for pour over. Take it <laughs> and in. it's just like the standard little black V that sits on top of the cup with the filter in it, and you put some grounds in it. Yeah, that gets your coffee too cold if it's uh, sub yeah. freezing. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. It's, we just it's have all like one of those, falling through the air and being exposed. I just have kind of. I just I mean, have one of those. Really. Um, but I'm telling you a, an objective reality, man. But I, I, I just feel like I've had different experiences. You were with o- me. Ours just drips a lot faster, I guess. Weren't you with me? Well, maybe, but I don't know. Yours might be a different system. But we just have like a standard V. Yeah, I just have the standard V that sits right on top of the no, Yeti mug. No, no, no. Like yeah. you buy it on the end you rack pour at Walmart. boiling water through there, and you don't have a cup of coffee. This that's, that's was drinkable. made. This was like made yeah, as a I little. I know yours is something different. I understand yours sucks and doesn't work. I'm saying that <laughs> mine, mine might work still. Maybe not at zero, but I think it would work at twenty. Yeah, I guess into it depends nice on in, what your tolerance a, is for into a coffee, nice for insulated Yeti tumbler. Yeah. The lesson here is don't cold. cheap out on how you make coffee, I guess. Or just quit drinking coffee. You don't have to worry about it. Cal, Cal just texted me a nice grip and grin of a turkey. Thanks, Cal. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what turkey is that? What are you talking about? It's got a Miriam's tail fan. Okay, so on one side of the road, I shot this bird this morning. White, white tail. Yeah, Merriams have a lot of variations. Yeah, they can be tan. And then on the other side of the road, it's like chocolate brown mm, tail. Yeah. Well, and especially I don't think it's the road doing that. I don't think it's the road doing that either. <laughs> I think especially in Montana, where there's been a lot of uh, um, bucket biology with turkeys going on, and there's probably a lot of hybridization. I think that sure, true Merriams are a little bit whiter, you know, snow white tipped, but. Um, I mean, heck, yeah. where we hunted in Nebraska. You never knew what you I've got. got all kinds of grips of guys with shooting out of the same flock, calling in three, four gobblers, and everybody, you know, cracks one, and there's four dudes lined up, and every fan looks different. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Cal, gotcha. in this picture, I noticed you're shooting at uh, that Venom, that Vortex red dot. Yes. You like that thing? I, um, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. It just once you start, you'll never go back. I, I like. haven't. You know, I think about. I keep thinking about doing it, but I haven't done it. Slows. I, I at first I was like, it's going to slow me down a little bit, and maybe it has. But um, I feel like it's speed. Yeah, yeah. That's how I. That's man, how. I I really really liked it. I got I got to tweak my mounts a little bit, but I I picked you one up too. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the garage. I keep thinking about making the jump. What I did is I took that 18i though and, and took a few inches oh, that's off. That's right. It. Yeah. yeah. Took a few yeah. inches off it, put an iron sight on there. I know. I'm going to see that and be Ooh, jealous. A little I know customization. That. Customized. Yeah. Sawed it off nice and short. 
<laughs> yeah, man. All right, here's a good one. How come you don't bleed your game out after a kill? Oh, that is a good Does one. a bad shot stress <clears throat> the animal out and make it taste bad? Tell me, Ani. That's two questions, correct? It is. How come you don't... Let's start with how come you don't bleed your game out after a kill? Because the bullet bleeds it out. Yeah, if all, if all goes well, you're shot. If it's like a neck shot and it's, and it's still alive, I would go do it. You would. But, yeah, because it hasn't bled and its heart's still pumping. But if it's... If you go up there and it's shot through the lungs, all the blood's out anyway, and its heart's not pumping anymore. So if you made a high shoulder shot, which most likely didn't clip the lungs, just you know busted his spine and he's dead, but still pumping. Yeah, you go sure. up there and slice his neck. I mean, if I like remembered to do it, I would do it for sure. Hmm. I've never done it. Yeah, I've never done the neck slice. I like. But when that you when you spine. lung an animal and open it up, I mean, as every drop of blood that thing's ever going to have yeah. laying inside the chest cavity, it's right. already bled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe th- this uh, question is related to shooting them in the head or something. You hear a lot Headshot of like, guys you, bleed. Like, yeah. But you got to hustle. You got to get there quick, yeah. You got to hustle. Like bleeding, like you catch a fish, throw it a cooler, let it die and cut its gill. It doesn't, nothing to push the blood out. Yeah, yeah. Ron Layton would say, remember that? You know, from the documentary, man. As soon as he touches that he trigger, he's just like sprinting towards well, him. He's a head shooter. Right. Unrepentant head shooter. Man, I'm reading a book right now about uh, game warden in Idaho. And he's uh, undercover work, hanging out with a bunch of poachers. And he, the way he describes it, like, it is an act of God that uh, these poachers ever get caught. Like, just the, They're just good at it. And it's just so simple, too. It's just... You know, 22s and 243s and 223s, small small caliber stuff, all headshots. And stuff's just in its tracks, in the brush, 10 feet off a road, busy, like paved roads, stuff like like just. Slick. Yeah, just fast. Well, part two, Yanni? Does a bad shot stress the animal out and make it taste bad? I think so. Can't help. I think so. And the reason I think so is because uh, I feel that I have a lot of like, uh, uh, what's it called? Like when your body tells you something. You know what I'm trying to say. Secondhand info? Yeah. Anecdotal. Anecdotal. But I have a lot of anecdotal thoughts, anecdotal evidence. But it's also, it's a big thing in the meat cutting industry. It's like professional slaughterers pay attention to this. Oh, yeah. They pay a ton of attention to stress. They're not whistling Dixie. I mean, they're like, that's their business. And they're putting an enormous amount of energy into reducing stress. But you know what? My question is about that is that, and I, I know they are doing that, but aren't they, a, a lot of it just comes from like animal ethics there, doesn't it? No, it comes Where from not wanting, red, not wanting what you call it, red cutter. I'm sure there's an ethics component to it too. But remember that, uh, remember that, that famous animal behaviorist, uh, Grant Tamp, Temp- Temple Grandin. Temple Grandin. They brought her into work on all that, like reducing stress in slaughterhouses. And a lot of, I mean, there was an ethics component to it, but a lot of it had to do with quality product. A better product. Yeah, yeah, if it was just ethics, they wouldn't shock them after they bolted them in the head, right? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't want them stressed because of 
I think it increases the chance of getting a red cutter, which is like a like a discarded or like greatly reduced piece of meat. But it's like a widely held thing that's always told that you're always told that it's true. And I have some cases where I think you could have a stressed out animal and have it be good just because like, just, just there's always variability in everything. Yeah. But I've had enough situations where you've had stuff be like extremely tough, off tasting, and there's like, and you're like, man, you know what? Like there was some, you know, and you look and you'd be like, yeah, you can't rule out that there was like a, a not clean kill. Yeah. For sure. What's the best position? To poop in the woods. It's a mm. great question. I'm squat, a squatter. He says squat, lean against, it's multiple choice. Squat, lean against a tree, sit across two logs, sit across two logs, etc. Yeah, that would be like basically making a, a, you know, a toilet seat latrine. You know what I never thought to do is take two logs. This is a good idea. Take two logs, run them parallel, but sit parallel with those logs. So there's a gap between them. So yep. that the support wasn't running cross cheek. It was running with cheek. Each cheek on its own support. My experience, the more complicated Never tried you make <laughs> yes. this, uh, <laughs> the more trouble you're going to have. Oh, I don't believe in doing that. It's just something I hadn't thought of before, and now I'm curious about it. I think a lot of it has to do with your uh, agility and uh, physical fitness and, and things like that. Like yes, because yeah. the squat is not easy for a lot right. of people. I hang yeah. out a lot of lot of like kind of wiry wiry little mugs. Squat and go. And <laughs> so I, I think that um, among like wiry little mugs, I think that uh, the squat is is like I don't even need to do a handhold. Yeah. Right? No. 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 I don't handhold. No, but I feel like when I was younger, my daughter, I, was, I have to handhold her. Yeah, you know, my daughters just finally grew out of that, man. <laughs> no more handholding. They can just drop it and go anywhere. Nothing on their shoes anymore. Yep. They keep their pants clear. It's wonderful. My wife makes our daughter when she's peeing. She makes her get way back, like handhold, and you get way back. Like oh, yeah. a deep, deep, far lean back. Yeah. Because otherwise you got to have four pairs of extra underwear and pant tights with you. But I saw somewhere, I won't even say it was maybe on one of your posts, Cal, recently where Lantani commented about something about like a tree tether that's made for pooping. Are you, you feel, I, you, I know what oh, you're talking you know what about. about? Yeah, that's not a bad yeah. Because I was going to say, when I think, I feel like when I first started pooping in the woods more, probably in my late teens, early 20s, for some reason in my head, I thought that it was always going to be better if I, like, I would always look for that perfect tree that I could, you know, hook around sure. and lean away and get it. And now I guess they've made a product that makes that easier, even though I don't need it anymore. Yeah, no, that's not a product you need to buy. No, land has like a doubled up belt or something that he can whip around a tree uh-huh. and lean back into. Is this like bearing down and getting some leverage or what? Like, I don't I think <laughs> maybe a little stress reducer on the knees. Yeah. I don't know. Some some sort of comfort. <laughs> Sounds complicated. Yeah, the, the I've done. And when that strap yeah, breaks, <laughs> uh, you're going to be in a world of poop. I've done the, you know, in situations I might do the limb grab, tree grab, limb grab, but generally not. I, to, to walk you through the whole process, 
<laughs> Please. Well, there's a couple of things. I think that I'm more interested in responsible, responsible pooping. Re- not just clean, clean woods pooping, but responsible woods pooping. Yep. And we just came out of an area west of here where Ooh. it is the tree shootingest woods shittinest <laughs> surface appliance dumpingest. Oh man. I don't think I'd ever had even seen tree shooting until this. Yeah. In western Montana, it's become a thing where you you show up and try to blow and sometimes successfully gradually blow over ponderosa pines by just shooting them. To the point where they had the forest service has signs up saying that you can't shoot the trees. I don't get it. Like decent sized trees too. Oh no, we're talking trees that like yeah, we're, we're 18 talking eighteen inches in diameter. Yeah, and meanwhile the same people are surface shitting. Surface shitters. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd have a little talk with one of our uh, crew members. I'm not going to mention any names, but I think that Steve likes. I don't know if you coined the term. If it's been around forever, I had never used it. But shitting in the piss zone. Nope. No, I coined that. That's about Mexico. When you leave. <laughs> The group to go off down the hill or up the hill, wherever. Oh, you're, you're euphemism! Go, My euphemism. You say I'm gonna go flip a rock. Yeah, that's just the first thing I'm gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that maybe some people have taken this to mean that that's all you have to do is like take a poop. flip a rock, then walk over somewhere else and go. Well, take a poop oh. right on the surface and then just flip a rock on top. Oh, of make it. a little sando. That's yeah. like a last yeah. resort. If you can't dig a hole, right? Because what I like to do is I like to find a rock that's buried so far into the ground that make... when you lift it out, the perfect six-inch hole is there. Yes. And then you put the rock back on oh, top. Dude, that's and, making and... my stomach. Yeah, <laughs> just here, yeah. Just picturing my that loosening things up. The perfect rock is just making me want to go yeah. off in the woods. I'm like, what I'm proud of is when I walk away, I'm like, if anybody else came through here, they would not know where I hid. I like the kind of rock where you it. go up. This is considering you got rocky ground. So we'll start with rocky ground. I like the kind of rock where you go up and you think, no way I'm going to move that rock. <laughs> but then you give it a pull and there's some give. Yeah. And you pull and it pops out. And there's like some some uh, roly polies and centipedes and whatnot <laughs> saying, in there. A big ass ant nest. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, shit. And then you do your thing in there and you're like an Egyptian bricklayer, man. And you put that block back down in that little slot. <laughs> but, but it's such a deep hole and big rock that you don't even get like the like you don't even get like where you squish an Oreo right and the 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 stuffing comes up out. It's just like thunk. it's just like, but but it's just yeah. Then it's like entombed. Boy, That's what I like. Phil, you don't that even need to find a sound. Phil just recently took his Phil just recently took his first dump. I heard somewhere somehow, right? Is this true? Yeah, it's, it came up on Ben's podcast that I had never uh, crapped in the woods. Well, how, what'd you do? Hold it the whole time? <laughs> well, I see. Did you get I, a Latvian plug? <laughs> well, I mean, I've never. <laughs> do you know what that is? <laughs> no, I don't. Please explain. Yanni will have to. Tell yeah, you well, he's he's he is the Latvian. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know if it necessarily has anything to do with my heritage. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> so I, but, I, I uh, mean, as, oh, oh, sorry. Go, no, go I ahead. mean, it, it, when I travel, yeah, <laughs> which is all the time, <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to get a little constipated, and sometimes it can take two, three. I don't know if I've ever made it four full days um, where you have a plug, so to speak. 
Um, but I tell you, you don't, you've never felt as good as those seconds and minutes following getting rid of that plug. Is, the, is yeah. the, that Latvian plug exasperated by the mountain house? Nope. No. No, house doesn't give you a plug. No, I think it's just, I don't know really what causes it, but it just, I don't know. I try to drink a lot of water, and I'm guessing it's that it's something. walking onto an airplane. I know. That's what it seems. Does it do it to you, too? Yeah. Seth, you get a little bit of it, don't you, from the yeah. airplane ride? You get a Latvian plug? <laughs> yeah, you gotta do twenty three and me. See if you're laughing. <laughs> I don't. I don't get as bad as Yanni. Oh, okay. But I'll have like a day go by. I'm like, Ugh, something's not right. What yeah, is your uh, What is your heritage? Morris. Oh, I'm kind of all over the board. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not yeah. not a whole lot of pizzazz in the name Morris. No. <laughs> go ahead, Phil. You never put it in the woods. There you are. Yeah. So I told Ben, well, I'm gonna go for a long hike this weekend, and if if nature calls, I'll I'll try it. I'll try it out. I'll sample it. And uh, so, you know, I packed a bunch of stuff just in case. And like, I... like, well, <laughs> back up. <laughs> like, what, a Pulaski? Like, what'd you pack? A bunch a, of stuff. Yeah, a couple gallon-sized Ziploc bags, <laughs> a, a roll of toilet paper, some sanitizing wipes, you know. What were you going to do with the gallon-sized Ziplocs? For the wipes and the toilet paper, so I can double-zip it and so it doesn't, you know, bring it home, take, you know. Pack, yeah. pack yeah, out. Keeping yeah. it dry. Yeah, sure. Okay, but that's it for your bunch of stuff. Yes. All right. Okay. And so I'm, you know, I'm I'm a few hours into this hike, and I don't really have to, but I was like, I tried, I promised Ben I'd try, <laughs> God damn it. And so I I go way off, and so I can just see where I was walking, keep an eye on it, and I, I take care of business, and I bury it, and then immediately I hear a dog collar, and a couple is walking yeah. on the well, trail. Well, they'll eat that, you know. Oh, 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 you don't have to tell me because it happened. And so the dog <laughs> sniffs it out immediately, comes sprinting. The couple's like looking for their dog. What is he doing? And then I'm standing there <laughs> just like <laughs> pretending I'm on my phone, like hunting for treasure or something. <laughs> Hold on. You had buried or had not? I had. I had, but like, I had just started walking back ba- to the trail. Superficial berry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, it was like, I don't know, I, like three or four inches. I like, it was, it was really snowy too. So I tried to pack some snow on top. Oh no, yeah. That's yeah. not going to uh, do anything. People like to walk away feeling like they did something. Exactly. The, people do me. crazy little things. They'll take like a couple like pine needles <laughs> <laughs> and like put that on there and be like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, in anyway, so then I'm, I'm like pretending I'm not noticing this dog just like going to town on my shit. But oh, I just, oh, oh man. I'll tell you it a story. It was a bad first experience. I'll anyway. tell you a story that'll curl your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Ronnie Bame were hunting snow geese one time and we were on a little guided snow goose hunt. Yeah, this is a good one. And the guide goes over to the tree line and flips a rock, takes a growler, however you want to put it. Uh, and then pretty soon his dog's over there eating it. But we're in layout blinds. So your face is down on the ground. And then the dog comes back over and wants to run around licking everybody's face. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I almost, like, had to get, uh, yeah, did not, almost had, had, had an impulse that I didn't act on to, uh, to, to shoot the dog. <laughs> well, I mean, we, so I, was, I was talking to Mark Kenyon about it, and he's like, well, it might have been the, the nice thing to... Go back and explain to the couple what just happened in case their dog comes running back smelling like, like shit. So I couldn't even imagine bringing myself to do that. Like, no, that's a tough conversation yeah, to have. Yeah, yeah. And you're not gonna take it back. But I, I want to walk through people a little bit more. So you got the perfect rock, like the Egyptian brick layer scenario. The perfect rock comes out of the ground. If not, also you carry a little shovel mm-hmm. or your heel. But I think the key is prepping your area, like. 
Prep your area before you go. Find out how you're going to deal with it before you go. Like hours before. No, no. When you walk out, when you go off down the hill or up the hill or whatever you do, go over and don't like just go. Oh. Yeah. Without considering how what your plan is. Oh, yeah. Because you want to drop it in a, a, a good disposal location. So if you need to k- dig a cat hole, you know, or whatever, do that, then go. Don't go and then start wandering around trying to use sticks and whatnot and making little tongs and stuff, trying to move it around to where, it, where you need to put it. <laughs> so do that. Dig a hole. If you dig a hole, dig a deep hole. Dig a head-sized hole. Another thing, and I learned this, this is my brother's trick. He keeps a lighter in with his camp money. So Camp money being toilet paper. Yeah. He keeps a lighter in there. And as he's going... He doesn't let his, if it's raining out or whatever, you don't let the TP get wet as you're using it. So your used TP, he'll lay over a little limb or what have you and not let it get all balled up because it doesn't want to burn. Lay it nice, drape it nice over a limb so it's well oxygenated. Then when you're done, you pull your lighter out, up in flames. Where that becomes tricky is wet wipes. So... Wet wipes don't want to burn. You got to come back the next day and burn them. So I will carry in my kit, I got camp money and this little disposable, like not disposable, and this little single, like this little camp money roll made for campers. Then I carry with me uh, wet ones, single use wet ones. And if you feel like you need to touch up, you take the single use wet one, open it, do your touch up, put the wet one back in that thing, and then put that in your Ziploc bag inside your kit because you can't burn it. Then burn the sweep and bury your cat hole. And I don't need to walk out and find the ground littered with all your toilet paper. This is an important dab. topic, which is Dude, why it's we've a hit it. It's important topic. Now, uh, I just got to, I think you did a masterful job of. Uh, describing that system, and folks should take that uh, into mind. But also on the the burning the TP side of things, don't burn the woods down. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a road biker uh, outside of uh, Emmett, Idaho, and I was heading up to my buddy Jim's house to go uh, cook with those guys and hang out. And I think it was just a hangout session. This is Jim, the bird hunter, that's always cooking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, I get this phone call that says, hey, Cal, just got called out on a fire. Uh, the roads are closed, but just tell them you're staying at my house. And uh, his wife, Nancy, was like getting the animals together in case they had to evacuate. And I come around the corner and the whole damn mountain's on fire. <laughs> and so I go up and hang out with Nancy and we're kind of getting calls on fire and have a, a kind of an evacuation plan for all their bird dogs and great Danes and stuff. And, uh, that fire was a road biker who, uh, attempted to burn the toilet paper hmm. and, uh, got away into the, uh, the dry grasses of the BLM there. Yeah. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. And like the ranch that, uh, I was on this weekend, uh, Fires roll through there almost every year, and uh, the folks that live out there are hyper aware of fire. And, and I mean, they should be. It's just like that that country. 
Yeah. Yeah. The other day I had a situation where I went off and uh, found a really interesting little spot. It was like, you know when a tree falls over and leads kind of like a, half a stump? Mm. Oh, my gosh. There must have been multiple uh, in the Lobo National Forest. The stump had rotted out, so there was actually like the, the splinters of the stump all rot, standing there, all rotted. The stump had rotted and left a cavity in the ground. So you're able to actually back up to it, right? Use that. I prepped the hole a little bit, dug the, the, excavated the hole out a little bit, but actually use that existing hole. Then walk back around and just boot the back end, the half of the stump that was up still, boot that over to entomb. No one's getting into there. That's perfect. It tipped it over and entombed the area, and then I got up and jumped on it a couple times. <laughs> that is one clean dropping. Yep. The only way anything's going to get at is by coming up through the earth. That'll be fossilized yeah. someday. <laughs> someday someone's going to find it. Did you it. step back and throw your <laughs> hands on your hips Dude, and kind of like, stare at oh, it? Oh, yeah, go, I was yep. glad. Yep. I was glad. Satisfactory. It was like someone knew I was coming. <laughs> it was yeah. one of those moments that makes I, you confident in a higher being because it was like someone was looking out for me. I dropped one in the same kind of hole, but I just kicked it full of dirt. I didn't kick the stump off. You didn't back kick the stump down in it? Oh, perfect. Matt felt good about it. You got time for one more? Oh, yeah. I think we can end on this one. Is there anything else to add here? Because this is something that just like... Oh, you want to add to the... Well, I'm only just... I'm only saying I was just really... Nice national forest. Like, nice national forest. And it was cool. They're doing like a lot of work in that area. Doing a lot of thinning. A lot of controlled burns. Like, putting money into it to make good habitat. It's marked. Roads are marked, like everybody doing all the stuff to yep. make it like usable, accessible. Signs Roads being like were in good condition. National Forest, four miles, like turn, you know, like everything, everything that you could ask for, like all laid out, right? Everyone's done their job, and how? And what does that bring out in people? I got it. Let's go shit all over and then shoot the trees till they fall over. That like that sounds like a. Like, that's how we should treat the National Forest. I don't know who's paying for all this. It well, you are. was idiots. so disgusting, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Taking up a bunch of plastic and shit to shoot at. We came across <laughs> Legos. Someone brought those big, you know, those like child Legos that are Duplos, like, they're called. Duplos. Duplos. <laughs> yeah. Someone brought those up there and stuck them on a limb and were to shooting shoot holes them. in it. Yeah. And then left them there. Only hit it once. Just had a big Lego structure with one bullet hole through it. You didn't buy any Legos or toilet paper in your turkey's crop, did you? No. But everywhere you went, man, everywhere you went. Yeah. Culturally, I don't know what's going on in that little neck of the woods. Oh, I think it's a case of a few bad apples. Well, they get around. I'm sure they do. Shooting trees down. I've, uh... Topped few Christmas trees in my day. <laughs> the old old ten gauge, if I'm being honest. <laughs> this is I should, I almost took some videos, but it was like I don't know, man. Anyways, bad. last one, Yanni. Uh, on public land, and oh, I, I don't see the second why you, to last one. I don't see why you couldn't do this on private land either. It might be just more fun because you'd probably be hunting there with your buddies. 
Have you ever thought about laying down false tracks oh. slash signs to bamboozle other hunters? The, the other day we talked about this. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to be, to be like packing around an elk hoof <laughs> or a deer hoof to lay down that kind of a sign. I was and just going to say, it seems like a lot of work. With, without that, you could lay down a scrape. Wouldn't be too hard. A rub would take some serious Yeah, effort. well, then you're not bamboozled. Well, yeah, you are. You're getting them to waste their time. Yeah. It's a great idea to go make little scrape, fake scrapes uh-huh. and put tracks on them. Uh-huh. We, talk, we were the guy the other day that was saying back home what they would do. We are looking at turkey tracks in the road, and he says you would stomp out every one of these turkey tracks. That's right. And so he said when they're rolling around, they look for a bunch of stomping <laughs> and, <laughs> and hunt there. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, we, uh, we used to, on some public land that I used to hunt, there was kind of a major trail. It wasn't a heavily used trail by hikers, but it was a, it was a major trail. And um, there was a spot where there was a known elk crossing, and it, there was a lot of tracks there. And near, I just like one time brought up some pea cord and basically made like a little broom out of some pine boughs or fir boughs, more likely. And um, I would sweep those tracks for two reasons. One, I wanted to see like how quickly they got freshened up, you know, because if I went through in the dark in the morning and came back out at 10, and there's fresh tracks, you know, I have a rough idea when they cross through there, but to also kick out, you know, to hide them from if anybody else is hiking that trail. Yeah. That was the thing I like about the lion hunters that lion hunters do is they like to brush out stuff all the time. Right. Um, and then I noticed like down in South America, some of those guys like to brush out the sandbars mm-hmm. just to wipe the slate clean. And it gives it like a nice little texture to pick up tracks. But yeah, the lion hunters, like if you get like whatever, Sandy patches and trails or a dry wash crossing the road. They like to get out and they'll just bring a broom mm-hmm. and broom it out. So the next time they know, like, I was here, I broomed it out on Monday. If there's a track on Tuesday, I know when that track got laid down. But that's different than trying to bamboozle someone. I know. I mean, real common one for uh, Western trailheads, because uh, I say Western trailheads because that's where my experience is, is like if you're hunting with four people, everybody drive your own vehicle. So then there's four vehicles parked at the trailhead. Make it look crowded. Make it look yeah, crowded. Yeah. We used to do that in PA all the time. Yeah. As my brother in Alaska, he doesn't like camo tents. He doesn't get it. He likes Ooh. the brightest tent he can find. Amen. And he likes a lot of bright tents. Because when someone's flying over, he wants to look like all hell broke loose down there. <laughs> Someone made a little. Neon. He's like, if I could, I'd set up five neon tents. I don't want a camo tent. I want it to be like, I am here. We are all here. <laughs> Although yes. sometimes, sometimes Cal's example can backfire because some people will be like, well, must, be, must good. be good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true. for sure. Yeah. Oh, it'd be like ice fishing, man. You would just, yeah, when you get out to a lake and you're ice fishing, you just be like, oh, everybody's over there. Good yeah. place to start. Uh, last question. Then we got to wrap her up. Some guy was like, what's your thoughts on Pebble Mine? I know all, I, I know, I understand all the arguments. I understand all the arguments. Um, everybody, you know, you drive, everybody drives cars and we use metal and nah, nah, nah. I, like, I get it. I get it all. People need jobs. I want people to have jobs. I'm not anti-job. I'm not anti-mining. Um, I oppose that mine. 
It is the wrong project in the wrong place. If if the headwaters of the biggest salmon runs on the face of the earth, like if that isn't like a line in the sand, I don't know what is. I don't think we should mess around. I do not. I think that I would like, I would love it if the president um, would just all of a sudden, you know, I know there's beyond presidential, like it's a lot of other things, but there'd be a great step is the president would just, and he, he has, he's comfortable. Um, he went against his party on divestiture of federal lands. It was in the party platform. And he was like, not, not going to happen. Not interested in divestiture of public lands. So he's like federal managed lands. So he will go against like what, what they got going on there. I would breathe such a sigh of relief if he would put some, if he would come out and just be like, you know what? Not, not going to happen there. Yeah. The, don't do it, man. Don't do it. In a hundred years, it'll be the the winning decision will have been to not do that. Don't yeah. do it. If you have a what we're talking about is putting a big, huge open pit mine, big in impoundment a full of toxic material in a seismically active. Is it true that there's never been an open pit mine that hasn't failed, like hasn't been breached or failed in some way. Oh, a- absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, there's some that I don't know, that but... do that within the degree of what's acceptable yeah. too, right? Well, so, some amount of leakage is expected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, this thing, you're like, it's a it's a sponge. You're, you're digging a hole that we know is going to fill with water because every other hole up there is full of water and there's no place to put the water. In a very seismically... Active. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's like just... you're, it's like leach mining. You're you're digging out ore out of the ground, then you're putting. I don't know. Is it cyanide leach up there? You're dissolving. You're dissolving precious metals out of ore with chemicals, and then you got to do something with all that stuff. And so they build a big man-made lake, and that big man-made lake, like you build a big dam, right? And that man-made lake will be full of all that toxic material, and then you just kind of let it sit there for eternity. And hope that the dam doesn't burst. I'm, yeah. I'm grossly oversimplifying this just to, out of exp- just to get through it quick. But uh, I'm not anti mine, man. I'm anti that mine. Yeah, absolutely. And- I don't think it's the right thing to do. I don't think it's. I get all the stuff though. I get the economy. I get jobs. Don't do that one. Like, don't do that one. Absolutely. Too much to risk. If they do do it. No, if they don't do it, I win a thousand dollar bet. <laughs> You're biased. I thought you said for, you don't like no. gambling. I was gonna say <laughs> I made a bet on this, where I made a bet three years ago that it wouldn't be that they wouldn't have initiated, that they wouldn't have started to extract ore in a decade. So I'm three years in, and seven more years that they have not extracted any ore, I win a thousand bucks. This has nothing to do with what I, you know. It's just that was just I was just in a betting mood. Look back when I drank more. Quarantine. I made all these deep. bets. All these bets about the next presidential election. All this stuff was when I drank a lot more. Hmm. <laughs> I used to get in a betting mood. Quarantines turned <laughs> Steve into everywhere. a gambler. Didn't didn't you? <laughs> no, I don't make really any bets. I lose all my bets anyway. Didn't what? you also say you would uh you would engage in civil disobedience over this? Yeah, I would think that it might be a situation. I would think that it would be if I if they were going to go and actually do it, and I heard that there was people that were going to go out and and do like like civil disobedience. I would in the back of my mind, I'd be like, yes, 
I'll not that I condone civil disobedience. Well, no, in some cases. Why not? It's what this country was built on, right? Yeah, like people in Michigan going down to the state capitol over like a confusing effort to quarantine people is like civil disobedience. Um, it would be heartbreaking to me because I would just I would be like, okay, if we can't if if that if we can't do that, like what else can't we? Yeah, do? where's the line? Like, what is sort of like not, you know? What is, oh, like Yellowstone? Is that now? I mean, I mean, yeah. I'd rather they put, well, I don't want to say that. <laughs> well, it's, just, it's just so contrary to, it's like, you know, especially like right now, I think folks got like a little taste is a bad word, but I'm going to use it, a little taste of food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, man, I, I, I hope you come out of it quick if you're listening to this and you're, and you're, you're in that spot right now. Tommy but, Edson, did I tell you that? Uh-uh. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah. Oh. Um, and, but... I might have spoke too much already. This is... Sorry, Tommy. <laughs> you know, this is America's salmon stocks. This is... Oh, I'm talking about something different. For uh, the, the pebble mine. Like, what's at risk? Oh, okay. This, this is a giant security blanket of food. Yeah. That we're like, yeah. That's a good argument. I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah, please do. It's not, when you steal an argument, you're not really stealing their argument. You just influenced me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there you go. That's is what I think any, about. That's what there, I think about that. Is there anything else we should tell folks about? Anything like uh, that we're doing that they should be checking out? I was just thinking they should, if they haven't yet, they ought to go check out the uh, six pack of Meat Eater Hunts videos. Oh, Where excellent. you can see uh, Brody. Doing a little pig hunting in Texas. Cal doing some uh, goose. And what was the other one you did? I think that's it for oh, me. Because it's Cal's Week in Review. Not, it's Cal in the Field. Yeah. yeah. Cal's got a separate series called Cal in the Field. Yanni chasing big old bulls. Yeah. And spearfishing. Spearfishing. Oh, and spearfishing. Flip yeah. flop flasher catching some beef. Is this is is the spear is our spearfishing one still caught up with and outperforming your elk one? Yes. Yeah. It was I neck think. and neck for a while. We pulled yeah, ahead, man. I think the beaver hunting episode is crushing. Dude. There's a thirst for there's a thirst for beaver videos, man. Yep. We tapped <laughs> into the zeitgeist. And, and People Seth, like it. Seth, we gotta deliver. <laughs> People like it. Yeah, when uh, Seth, he can't go out anymore at night. People are like, oh my God, it's the guy from the Beaver video. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, Ryan Callahan, Seth Morris, Flip Flop Flesher, Phil Taylor. Down there on the end. Dogs eating his. Uh, Giannis Patelis. <laughs> <laughs> and Brody Henderson. Good night. No nicknames, huh, Brody? I, I've never gotten one. I had to work on that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, the, I thought of the, one, though, for his the wife. The Broadster. His wife the other day that I can't <laughs> believe I that hadn't one. heard more often is that his wife, Carrie, married <laughs> into the Henderson name. And uh, so I saw the other day, I said, oh, Carrie and the Hendersons. Oh, that's why I'm going to start calling Brody. <laughs> I got a good laugh out of that. <laughs>
After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. 